Hello, and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. La la la. <laughs> my name's Nick, that's my sidekick host, Brandon. Uh, you might say Brandon's the Newman to my Jerry. I'm shaped the same way, too. Shaped the same way, smell the same way. He got skinny. He got, well, skinny, I mean. He did, I think he got thin. He got skinnier. I'm looking him up. I think he got actually thin. He's flappy, kind of like Fat Bastard in Austin Powers 3. Flappy? You know, skin skin flaps and pockets. Okay, hang on. Before, (laughs) why don't we tell the people why we're doing a bunch of Seinfeld talk here. We're doing a special episode this week. Usually, this is the show where one of us comes prepared with a top 10-ish list. Yada, yada, yada. You know the drill by now. This week, we're doing a special episode where... It's Seinfeld everything. We have a bunch of mini lists all pertaining to Seinfeld. If you've listened to our show for even 30 seconds in the past, and we all know you've listened to every second of every episode, and thank you for that, including you, Jerry. We are big Seinfeld fans, and from listener demand, we were asked to do this. And you know, I didn't fight the people on it, but we were asked to make a Seinfeld-centric episode, and that's what we're here to do, Brandon. I thought we were threatened. Threatened, sure, yeah. Uh, I've looked at pictures of uh, Wayne Knight who played Newman and no, he did not get skinny. I mean, he lost weight and he yeah he looks much healthier now than he did before but I've skinny is going too far. I just went too far. We all know you go too far. Your inflatable wife calls me sometimes to tell me that Brandon went too far again. <laughs> I, po- I popped. Uh, Wayne Knight, he did Newman and his character in Jurassic Park. Those are the only two good things he's ever done. What if he has children? He has children. Okay, we have a bunch of Seinfeld lists today. We're going to fucking talk about Seinfeld. All right, well. And if you don't like Seinfeld, one, unsubscribe from our show. Two, just listen to this whole damn show anyway. I'm going to guess that most people, if they saw Seinfeld in the feed, they're just going to skip this one if they don't like Seinfeld. But if you happen to be listening to this and you're not a Seinfeld viewer, I just... What do I have to do to get you to do it? Do you want me to come to your house and hold your hand? This is a great thing to happen to you. Why do you fight it? Just watch the damn thing. My mission in this episode is to convince the non-watchers, what's a Seinfeldism I could say about those people? The bizarros out there, I'm stra- okay, you get it. You're going to watch Seinfeld by the time this episode's over. Where are they going to find it? On Hulu. Hulu, you, if you have a Hulu subscription, all the Seinfeld episodes are on Hulu. Or if you have a TV subscription, it's on like... Every channel at all times. Well, I actually have a bunch of notes related to this. Uh, I, I have a rundown of some quick fascinating Seinfeld facts to start us out. Is that all right with give you? Me, yeah, I'll give me some Nick's, Nick's notes on Seinfeld. That's hashtag Nick's notes. So, I have Hulu things in here. I'll just go from the top though. Seinfeld, the show Seinfeld. It's based on the life of Jerry Seinfeld. May have heard of him. Seinfeld ran for nine seasons on NBC between 1989 and 1998. 89, was that the year of your first wedding, Brandon? Uh, The show was created by Jerry Seinfeld and his friend Larry David. The show was nominated for a lot of Emmys. It won an Emmy in 1993. It's often described as being a show about nothing, as many of its episodes are about the minutia of daily life. A couple of other accolades Seinfeld can boast. In 2013, the Writers Guild of America voted it the number two best written TV series of all time. Do you know what number one was, Brandon? Sopranos. Sopranos. Did you know that or did you just guess that? I knew it. 
You didn't fucking know. I knew it had, I knew it must be Sopranos. I've not seen Sopranos, but I hear good things. Yeah, you hear them from me because I keep telling you to just watch it. You have an HBO subscription. But it's such an endeavor, Brandon. It's like a thousand seasons. Yeah, you just open your eyes and point them at the TV and it starts happening to you. (laughs) Would you agree with me that Seinfeld is a show that if you've never seen it, you don't have to watch it in order? And in fact, I encourage people for their first time, I encourage them to skip the first few seasons. I think the first few seasons are good, but they're very slow and I feel like the later seasons are a lot quicker to get into it. Later seasons do a lot better job of tying together two or three completely different storylines and wrapping them up in a fun or surprising way and the early seasons didn't really do that. No. Again, the early seasons are really good. It's just I think you'll appreciate them more if you watch the later seasons first. And there's no reason to watch everything in order because Seinfeld's a very, for the most part, every episode is very self-contained. The E, or E, exclamation point, E, E, name this. Oh, E for entertainment. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh, it's entertain. Are you sure it's not esophagus? <laughs> Erection. E, name the series the number one reason the 90s ruled. Okay, thanks, E. I was wondering. And quotes from numerous episodes have become catchphrases in popular culture. More on that in a minute. Seinfeld, you remember in episode 16 um, when you came with the most watched TV finales ever? Mm -hmm. Seinfeld's- It's up there. Spoiler alert, Seinfeld's number four. It had 76 million viewers and 58% of all TV viewers that night were tuned into Seinfeld. Anyone in the entire- country of the United States yeah. who had the television on, 58% yeah. of them were on Seinfeld. Yeah, I was one of them. That's huge. I was probably paying, playing Pokemon Yellow in my Game Boy around that time. So, I was not watching that. <clears throat> now, here's where we get into the Hulu and some money. Lots of money notes here which is going to blow your mind. According to Forbes magazine, Jerry Seinfeld's earnings from the show in 1998 alone. So, 1998 which was the final season. million. And NBC offered Jerry $5 million per episode to continue into a 10th season, which would have been a record and may still be a record for an actor to be paid per episode on a show. I would have been right there for it because something I noticed as I was doing this is a lot of episodes I really loved that I thought happened a lot earlier in the series were in season 9. Yeah. Uh, when I was going through my favorite episodes for this epi- for this podcast episode, season nine dominates my list. The show just gets more ridiculous <laughs> as it goes on, but more um, trivial. George really comes into his own with his schemes. Yes. We'll get into that. So, the offer NBC made to Steinfeld was over three times higher per episode than anyone on TV had ever been offered before. Let's do that again. 1998, NBC offered Jerry $5 million per episode to continue which was three times higher than anyone in the history of television had ever been offered. That's insane. Yeah. And he turned it down. He told the network he was not married nor had children and wished to focus on his personal life. And he did. He married someone much younger and they had kids. He, got to, he has two kids now. It's easy to forget how old Jerry is. When Seinfeld ended, he was in his mid-40s. Now he's 84. Yeah, now he's 84. And Jerry Stiller, who played Frank Costanza, is uh, 307. Is he alive? Ah, uh, yes, barely. 
<laughs> As I was doing this, I didn't want to... You didn't want to look at his age? I was afraid to look him up. He's 91. Yeah. Well, I've told you this before off air, but I get upset thinking about it because to me, Jerry Stiller, who plays Frank Costanza, is as integral to the show being funny in the later seasons as anyone else. And if they ever did a Seinfeld reunion, and you have to think they're going to have to do one at some point, right? I don't think so. Okay. Well, if they ever do and they wait until Jerry Stiller's dead, I'm going to be upset. Jerry's dad's already dead, his TV dad. Who's having sex with the hen? <laughs> okay. As of July 2007, so this is a little old, but I found this on Wikipedia. As of July 2007, he was the second highest earner in the TV industry. So, think about that. The show had been off the air for nine years. And nine years after the show went off the air, he was still the current second highest earner in the entire industry. Yeah. Just from syndication of the show. $60 million per year just from reruns of Seinfeld. It's one of those shows like The Simpsons that they just put on every single day like clockwork. If you were stuck to any kind of routine, you could depend on Seinfeld being on at a certain time. Yeah. And I still remember the stupid, I don't know, this has probably been more than 10 years ago since Seinfeld came on every night at 10 p.m. and 10.30 here in Tulsa, Oklahoma on our local station, KOKI. Uh, but I remember the promo every night would be, um, it's time for your favorite show about nothing. Seinfeld is next. Yeah, I remember that. And when that guy, the way that guy says, guy says it's your favorite show about nothing makes me think he'd never seen an episode. No. But you know, Seinfeld is one of those shows that's mass appealing, obviously. I mean, the success of the show is very evident from all these notes I'm reading. I wonder if there's a list of the most rerun shows in history. Seinfeld's got to be up there. But I think despite all that, it can still be a show that's hard to get. If you've never seen it before and you're an adult and you've always heard about Seinfeld but you've never taken the time to watch one episode and then you finally watch one, I think it can be hard to get it at first and be like, what's, you know, do you agree with that? Or do you think it's something that is able to grab a modern day adult immediately? I don't know. I guess it depends on how old that modern day adult is or... Let's just assume they're younger than you because most people are. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think a lot of people younger... Younger. Those whippersnappers? I think a lot of people probably take for granted that these things were not always in pop culture and that the sh show is responsible for a lot of things that they are aware of but probably don't realize were popularized or brought right. about because of the show. So, the show became the first TV series in history to command over $1 million for a minute of advertising. Previously, that had only been attained by the Super Bowl. So, other than the Super Bowl, Seinfeld was the first show ever and it's just a 30-minute sitcom. Well, yeah, it's 22 minutes. There's eight. Yeah, so, it's, right. if it's eight minutes, eight minutes of commercials per episode, then that means... I, I just don't understand how the math works because that means that each episode could bring in... $8 million in advertising revenue. Yeah. At least $8 million. Yeah, but they're going to pay Jerry five. Well, there's more to it than just the ad revenue. Yeah. There's merchandise and there's all kinds of stuff. Syndication. Syndication, right. Which syndication is the biggest money maker. In fact, through the years, as of 2017, Seinfeld had garnered more than $4 billion in revenue just from syndication. So, ad revenue... For these reruns, and some of these reruns are at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Ad revenue in reruns for Seinfeld 
through 2017, $4 billion in revenue. It's insane. The house that Larry built. Yeah, right? I wonder how much of this money Larry's seeing. Plenty. My last note here and then I'll stop is you mentioned Hulu. Seinfeld was not available for streaming anywhere until Hulu in 2015 and they're still there now as of March 2019. It cost Hulu between 130 and 180 million dollars to bring the entire Seinfeld catalog to the streaming service. Well, it seems like a bargain compared to how much syndication costs. I mean, there's no way to know this, but I wonder the percentage of people, the primary reason they originally signed up was because of Seinfeld. That's the primary reason that I've used multiple email accounts for multiple two-week trials of Hulu to watch Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. Seinfeld is a powerhouse, one of the biggest of all time. And I mentioned and you mentioned that all these phrases and language and verbiage that's a part of the pop culture that originated or at least became well known from Seinfeld, few of these that are in everyday language, shrinkage, mm -hmm. low talker, close talker, close talker, man hands, man hands, not that there's anything wrong with that. Festivus, what are some other obvious ones I'm missing? A house for my boys. My boys can swim. I'm out there and I'm loving every minute of it. Master of your domain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we could go on and on. But all those things were popularized by Seinfeld, if you've heard any of those phrases before. If you just crawled out from under a rock. Right. Or if you just crawled out from under a big old butt. <laughs> Or you've just woken up from a decades-long coma. Well, you forget that our podcast, the primary purpose of it, Brandon, is to educate our listeners. That's right. It's edutainment. Edutainment. This is edutainment. So, today, Brandon and I have a series of top five lists, top five side characters, top five episodes, mm -hmm. top five quotes or references, top five life lessons. Do I have all that right? That's what I've got. All right. That's what I got. Let's start with those side characters because as popular and well-known as the four main characters are, some of these side characters could have their own shows. I'm going to surprise you with some of mine. So, I considered anyone that wasn't one of the main four a side character. Okay. So, like Newman would count toward a side character. Right. In my book. Okay. Is Newman on your list? Do you think Newman is funny? You don't like Newman? Newman's not on my list. Newman's number five for me. Do you think Newman himself is funny or just the things, the way that Newman sets himself up for comedy is funny? I do really enjoy Newman when he's evil. <laughs> Diabolical. <laughs> Diabolical. I love Newman too because he's Kramer's best friend but then Kramer's also best friends with Jerry and then Jerry and Newman hate each other but then they all still work together sometimes in the evil schemes. Sure. Like when uh, they all wanted the shower heads. They have to form an alliance. Yeah. And I also love all the male jokes on Seinfeld. <laughs> Why aren't you at work? It's raining. <laughs> You're a mailman. Rain nor sleet nor snow. It's the first one. Uh, and Newman comes up and says, thank you, Postal Man Dan. Now go enjoy your four-hour break, please. <laughs> and also one of my quotes, I'll just give you a spoiler here, is Newman He's diabolically states this and then scurries away. He always, he <laughs> likes to scurry away but he says, just remember this, when you control the mail, you control information. 
and then he scurries off. It kind of squeals as he does it. So, but you, you're agreeing with me on some of this stuff and you're still saying he's not funny. He is funny. He isn't laser focused in on my funny bone. Well, I already know one of yours is going to be Mr. Kruger. Mr. <laughs> I listed seven in case you made me kick off. I have eight. Okay. Well, uh, I actually have seven and Mr. Kruger is number six on mine. Mr. Kruger, uh, George's boss from Kruger Industrial Smoothing, really tickles me because of how much he doesn't give a shit. I have some notes on him too. This is from Wikipedia. George is often forced to push Kruger to do his work, to which Kruger usually responds, I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, I don't care. Or another example is Kruger's company botched the Statue of Liberty job, as he put yeah. it, because they couldn't get the green stuff off and is infamous for losing money. When viewing company financial reports, Kruger nonchalantly exclaimed, wow, we really took it on the chin last year. Yeah, took it on the chin. <laughs> and it's his company. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I couldn't believe this, but when I was doing research, I pulled Kruger out because I knew you'd choose him. Mm-hmm. He only appears in four episodes. Well, he makes a goddamn good impression. I would have guessed like 10 episodes, but it's four. One of my favorite episodes prominently features Kruger. Kruger is on there at six. Well, I know that Frank Costanza is on yours. I think Frank is going to be both of our number ones, am I right? It is my number one, yeah. Yeah, Frank's my number one. Frank Costanza is a special character played by a very special guy. Of all the Frank moments, I think the times that he makes me laugh the most is when he's in a yell fight with Estelle, Uh George's mom. The one I always think about is when George and his parents are going out somewhere and Frank's wearing a tie, (laughs) Estelle says something like, what what are you wearing that tie for? And he goes, what's wrong with this tie? She says, it's too big. They're wearing them thin now. Frank immediately goes from zero to (laughs) ten. You have no eye for fashion. And she goes, I have no eye for fashion. And she's like having an aneurysm while she's... <laughs> and George has to step in. Uh, and do you remember, this is totally off topic, but George is suspicious of his parents blowing him off. Mm-hmm. They said they had Chinese food. So, Jerry says, and this is such a subtle thing about the show Seinfeld is they get this exact minutia detail of life so spot on. Jerry says, check the fridge. If they had Chinese, there's leftovers. Yeah. It's so funny because there is always fucking leftovers. It's pizza and Chinese. Anyway. There's pizza in my fridge right now. I have none to fucking doubt right next to the huge ass fucking hot dogs that you had transported (laughs) from the Atlanta airport. In the bun. What was I going with that? I guess that's it. Oh, Frank tells George they're cutting them loose. (laughs) (laughs) They've had it with him. (laughs) Just flatly. While you were setting that up, I found the quote, what he says to George when they kick him out. (laughs) And it says, George, we've had it with you. Understand? We love you like a son. We love you like a son. We love you like a son, but even parents have limits. I wish I had access. I wish I had pulled more Frank Costanza quotes. There's a lot of Frank Costanza rattling around in my brain, but. So, let me get this straight. You had the chicken, the hen, the rooster. And he's using his hands very elaborately the whole time. Chicken goes with the rooster. So, who's having sex with the head? <laughs> there, he has a very halting way of speaking. <laughs> I could listen to him read the dictionary and it would probably make me laugh. And it's so funny too because when he came on, he was supposed to be a, his character was supposed to be a feeble man that cowered to Estelle. But uh, apparently, the actor, Jerry Stiller, got so fed up with her yelling at him in the scenes that he would <laughs> fight back and yell at her back. And then the writers all loved it and they changed his character. 
I, I don't understand why he, I didn't know that actually and I don't know why he would have originally been written that way because early in the show when you meet George Costanza, you, of all those characters, you may be wondering like, George seems like he's equipped to be normal. Why is he this way? And then when the more you see of his parents, you're like, how could he turn out any other way than the way he is in this show? The person who would say it's not a lie if you believe it could only have come from Frank and Estelle. I'm like a phoenix rising from Arizona. <laughs> and the way he waves his hands in the air, puts he puts his arms straight up and looks to the sky when he does it. Yeah. That's like... He doesn't just deliver the line. He full body. He's all in on it. Yeah. I actually remembered while you were talking, my number one favorite Frank moment and maybe my favorite, this is big of me to say, but I think it might be true. My number one favorite moment in all of Seinfeld. Are you ready? Okay. And there's so much to it because it's not just the laugh line from Frank. It's the setup. It's the reaction on the other side. It's the pettiness and the smallness of the entire scenario, but you could still see it happening in real life. Right. And it's this. The Seinfelds are moving to Del Belca Vista and Frank and Estelle, George convinces his parents to go. And so, the Seinfelds hear about it, Jerry's parents that is. I don't remember how word gets back to the Costanzas that the Seinfelds don't want them there. Somehow, they hear of that and Frank just calls... <laughs> Frank calls Morty Seinfeld, Jerry's dad, cold calls him Uh and Morty says hello and immediately Frank is sitting in a dark room by himself (laughs) and he just says, this is Frank Costanza. (laughs) So sinister. And he says, we're moving into Del Boca Vista, lock, stock and barrel. We're going to be in the courthouse. We're going to be at the pool. We're going to be all over that shuffleboard court and I dare you to keep us out. And then he slams the phone down and Morty Seinfeld just puts the phone down, turns to Jerry and says, that's it. We're not going to Del Boca Vista. <laughs> Is it when Estelle tries to cook that he pushes her aside and tells her, uh, your meatloaf is mushy, your salmon croquettes are oily <laughs> and your eggplant parmesan are just a disgrace to this house. Right before that, she sets the eggs down and he says something like, what is this? <laughs> you call these eggs? And she says, that's the way I've always made it. And he just very emotively, he throws the forks down, throws his hands up and looks to the ceiling like you were saying and says, <laughs> well, they suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy can fucking deliver a line. <laughs> well, they suck. You saying you want a piece of me? Oh, there was one thing about Frank that I love that I forgot to mention. Hmm. Hell of an ass. Yeah. All right. Is Estelle in your top five? Estelle is number two. Estelle is my number two. Estelle Costanza is, again, a very special character. No one else could have done that. That lady has the absolute perfect voice, the perfect accent for for nagging at, for, for just nagging. Yes. The way she kind of whines uh, when she says, you're treating your body like an amusement park. <laughs> I leave the room for five minutes and I come back and you turn into J. Edgar Hoover. (laughs) There's also some times where when Estelle in the episode, the Fusilli Jerry, the ass man episode, 
she gets her eyes done. She gets something. She can't cry. She can't cry because her and Frank are splitting up and she's going to be back out there dating. And <laughs> there's something about her thinking that Kramer has made a move on her and the look that she gives when she feels kind of, she seems flattered and maybe even turned on. Yeah. That, <laughs> that lady is incredible. Yeah, she's great. And also, um, the bro scene when Kramer is fitting the bro onto Frank uh-huh. and she walks in and she just goes, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Love me some Estelle. My number three is going to surprise you, I think. For your number three, I'm going to guess George Steinbrenner. George Steinbrenner is not on here, although I, I did think very, very heavily about that. He's not even in your top seven? He's not. Wow. Is uh, Morty Seinfeld in your top? Morty's number three. Morty's my number four. Morty's right up there too, man. But he's underrated. I forgot that he was played by a different guy in the first. Yeah, in the fir- first. I think the first episode. But the glasses they got him to wear, the way he, he can deliver a line with this sort of blank but innocent sweet stare in his eyes. Look, it says number one dad. This shirt will never leave my body. <laughs> <laughs> and his mom, I love Jerry's mom too. I mean, she just can't compare to these other three, but she's great. She's like, Jerry, that shirt's gone to his head. It's too tight. But uh, Morty, he does this thing with his mouth and his face, like when he's nodding or confident about something. The quintessential Morty to me is there's an episode where Jerry's mom finds out that Uncle Leo, her brother, owes her money from when they were kids because their dad made money from betting on horses and he gave the money to Leo and said, give some to your sister. Yes. And Leo never did. And Morty finds out there's a scene with him doing calculations about all the interest over 50 years and the scene ends with him saying, he's not going to get away with this and then he makes that face. It's like $200 and it's not even his money. <laughs> Another thing with Jerry and his parents is there's gold in old people jokes. Anytime Jerry goes down to Florida mm-hmm. and his parents talking about being late to dinner and Jerry's like, it's 345. I know this is not make for great podcast, but there's one more image I have to send you, even if you have to cut this out. Morty, what do you have to open this box for? I wanted a chip ahoy. <laughs> One chip ahoy. He's dead ski now. Yeah, he is dead ski now. Deceased. Barney Martin, deceased. He's number four on my list. So, your three is Putty. My three is David Putty. One of David Putty's first episodes. His first episode was the face painting. Oh, that is the first episode? Yeah, that's... Uh, actually, no. His first appearance is in Fusilli Jerry. Is it? As Jerry's mechanic and Elaine's current boyfriend. Oh, is that when he steals the move? Yes. Clockwise swirl? It is pretty early on. I guess it's probably in season six that he paints his face, the devil's game. And I that's... And Elaine can't take it because he's a face painter. His response was like, why he needs to do that is just to shrug and say, Gotta support the team. But he has that squinting stare. Like there's no other possible way you could support the team other than to take off your shirt and paint your face and your chest. But I also love how Elaine can't accept the fact that she's dating a face painter. She seems pretty intelligent and he's obviously dumb. 
Does she call it? Someone calls him a grease monkey. That's the dealership episode. Yeah, he said he, he gets offended. He said, I don't know too many monkeys who can take apart a fuel injector. Yeah. And that's also the high five episode. High five. Yeah. And uh, the eight ball jacket. The Jesus fish. <laughs> I'm not the one going to hell. The priest says, it's simple. You're both going to hell. So, who's your number? Putty is my number seven. Or actually, he's eight. And that might seem low and it's not because I don't love Putty. It's because I love these other people more. Well, who are some of those other people? My number four is Kenny Banya. I thought it might be. He's only in like four or five episodes. Mm -hmm. But he fucking has my number. (laughs) Or I guess you could say he has a... He has a direct line to my funny bone as you so fucking weirdly put it earlier. <laughs> the the Mendy's soup shit. <laughs> the Think stupid about- look on his face when he's like, ooh, <laughs> he's just so excited. Just think about the logistics of this situation. Jerry makes it clear that he finds Banya super annoying to Banya's face. Banya wants to be friends with Jerry so bad that he doesn't care that Jerry clearly doesn't want to be with him and he has to bribe Jerry into going out to a meal with him. And I hate the way he keeps saying meal. Yeah, it's a meal. Jerry finally goes to a meal with him and Banya gets soup at Mendy's. Jerry's like, so, you enjoying that soup, Banya? And he tells the waiter he's not hungry, he'll save the meal for another time. Banya's like, oh, I just had soup. Soup's not a meal. (laughs) But why? If if the person doesn't want to be with you and he makes it clear, why do you want to be with that person? I don't get it. There's something about the giant jackass smile and the intense wild eyes. That's gold, Jerry. Gold. I just looked at pictures of him and almost all of them, he looks terrifyingly, insanely happy. Yeah. Well, he's happy because he's with Jerry. He's also (laughs) the one who Jerry gifts the Ovaltine joke to. That's right. Why don't they call it (laughs) Roundtine? He tells him it's gold. Did uh, Banya make your list? Banya did not make my list. What the fuck, Brandon? I know. Who am I missing? I got Putty, Frank, Estelle, Morty. So, you got the first four, number five, Uncle Leo. Oh, Uncle Leo. I love... (laughs) Jerry, hello. He didn't even say hello. The annoyance, the weird, angry, constant crotchetiness. Is he still alive? Oh, I'm sure that guy's dead. Well, the thing I think about most with Uncle Leo is when Jerry has that dream that Uncle Leo's in prison and he's doing pull-ups and it's a dark room and the camera's right on Leo's face with long hair and he says, Jerry, hello. Jerry? Hello, would somebody answer the damn phone? Because he has tinnitus. <laughs> Uncle Leo's great. He didn't make my list though. That's Remember Jerry turns on Uncle Leo for stealing batteries? <laughs> was it batteries? No, no, no. It wasn't batteries. It was books at the bookstore. His, when Jerry told his parents, his parents told him they steal batteries. Uh, but Uncle Leo was like, <laughs> he tells Jerry that he never forgets and never forgives. <laughs> because you were too busy stealing a book. That's the episode where George takes a book into the bathroom and then he can't sell it anywhere. (laughs) Right. Who's your number five then? Five was Newman. So, I have Frank, Estelle, Morty, Banya, Newman and then six for me is Steinbrenner. Uh, I probably should have put him on there because he does have some of the best. (laughs) I don't know why the way he says this is so funny to me but it's when he thinks when everyone thinks George is too stressed out at the Yankees, he's cracking up. Yeah. Steinbrenner calls him into his office. 
and says, come in, come in, come in. George, word is you've been cracking under the pressure. Can't cope. Can't stand the heat. Spit the bit. <laughs> he says like something about spit the bit. Well, and for the few out there that don't know, Steinbrenner is played by Larry David. Or at least the voices. I don't Voiced by him, yeah. Yeah. But there's a part where George leaves, he, he locks his keys in the car in the Yankees parking lot. And so, everyone thinks he's getting there early and staying late. Thinks he's burning the midnight oil. Yeah. And so, George has so much confidence in that that he goes out of town or he goes out of town, yeah, goes out of town for the week. So, they think he's missing and he comes back and he tells Steinbrenner, he comes in on a crutch and tells Steinbrenner that he got in a wreck and lived on, in a ditch and he managed to survive on grubs and uh, puddle water. <laughs> right. And Steinbrenner had gone from being so worried and frantic like, George, you're alive. And when George says that, Steinbrenner just says off to the side, grubs, huh? Can't say I've ever had any of those. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're never going to guess my number seven. Hmm. And he's really only my favorite for one episode, but he's in four or five. I'm thinking. He has a connection to Jerry. Keith Hernandez? No. I don't know. It's Jack Klompus. Jack Klompus. And I'll tell you why. This is the old man neighbor of Morty and Helen. Helen. Helen Seinfeld in Florida. It's the guy with the huge eyebrows and he's old. He's the one who gives Jerry the space pen. The episode I love most with him is when Jerry gifts his dad a Cadillac. That gives Jack Klompus enough justification to go to the board of the old person community they live in. And Del say, Boca Vista. Yeah, Del Boca Vista. No, no, no. They go to the Boca Vista after this because they get kicked oh. out um, of this one. Because Compass goes to the board and says that Morty's obviously been stealing money from the fund from the to, to <laughs> yeah. buy the Cadillac. He said, "There's no way Jerry bought it for him. We all saw his act last year." <laughs> and also, that's when Jack Compass uh, he doesn't want to take a ride in the Cadillac and says, "What? You think I've never driven in a Cadillac before? I've driven in a Cadillac hundreds of times, thousands." <laughs> Yeah, he's a character. A lot of Hawaiian shirts. So, it goes Frank Costanza, Estelle Costanza, Morty Seinfeld, Kenny Banya, Newman, George Steinbrenner, Jack Columbus, David Putty for me. Who am I missing on yours? Number seven, not really because of himself but because of what he brings to the table situation-wise is Dr. Tim Watley. Oh, yeah. Watley. Played by Brian Cranston. Who also plays Walter White. Jerry Stiller and Wally, Brian Cranston, are both in King of Queens as well. I didn't know that. Yep. Brian Cranston plays Doug and Carrie's neighbor and then Jerry Stiller's in every episode. He's the father-in-law that lives with him. King of Queens is well worth checking out, people, if you like Seinfeld. It's a lot of the same humor and Jerry Stiller is very similar to Frank Costanza in that show. In fact, it's like, it's basically the same character. Tim Watley is the one who had the penthouse magazines in his... Yes. Office waiting room. And he's also the one who when Jerry goes in, it's that same episode because he's trying to make the the dental office more adult. When Jerry's about to go under the gas, Watley takes a He takes, takes a, a hit. hit of it. And when Jerry comes out from the gas, he sees them both buttoning their clothes up, him and his hygienist. Then Jerry can't remember if his uh, shirt was tucked or untucked before he went under the gas. Right. He may have been sexually assaulted and that's not funny. Uh, so, good times. Yeah. Speaking of funny, take a quick break here. I want to tell you about a podcast. This is a friend of the show. He is a listener. He's left a review. 
He's always given us retweets. Leonardo DiCaprio? Leonardo DiCaprio's friend, Sean Ennis, he is the host of the Stories of Your and Yours podcast. It's a weekly short story podcast where Sean narrates classic short stories using sound effects and music to bring them new life. It's a great show. Here's their quick promo for more. Do you love a good story? If you do, check out Stories of Your and Yours. I'm Sean Ennis, and each week on Stories of Your and Yours, I narrate a classic short story, adding music and sound effects to bring those stories new life. The back catalog features stories by the likes of Edgar Allan Poe, Kurt Vonnegut, Rudyard Kipling, Mark Twain, Ray Bradbury, and many more. And in addition to classic short stories, I feature original stories by you, the listener. So if you do love a good story, give stories of your, that's Y-O-R-E, and yours, that's Y-O-U-R-S, a listen today. And visit the show at SYY Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to submit your own stories, requests for classic short stories, or just to say hi. That's stories of your and yours, available wherever you get your podcasts. Does Sean not have the best radio slash podcasting voice of all time? It's up there. Why can't you sound like that, Brandon? Or at least sound not awful. <laughs> That's the stories of your and yours podcast. And the first your there is Y-O-R-E. Check it out. It's a great show. And thank you, Sean, for supporting our show. Okay. Brandy. Yes. We've spent a lot of time on side characters. Let's move it on over to top episodes. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm going to guess that Fusilli Jerry is in your top five. Fusilli Jerry is my number one episode. Tell us about it. Fusilli Jerry uh, was in the sixth season. It was episode 20. Most people would remember this as the Ass Man episode. Hey, the Ass Man's in town. <laughs> it's also one of my favorite quotes. It's one of my top quotes. So, if you don't remember the episode, uh, Kramer goes to pick up his new license plate and he accidentally gets someone's vanity plate. And the vanity plate says, Ass Man. He talks with Jerry and George about who may be the true owner of the, uh, of the license plate. And Kramer is the one who suggests that it may be a proctologist because they have, a, they have such a great sense of humor. He said, if you're at a party and you meet a proctologist, Park yourself. You're gonna. <laughs> you'll be. You'll be in for a treat. Uh, and then, but so he's riding around uh, town with a license plate that says "Ass Man," and he's giving a ride to Estelle Costanza, who thinks that everyone is just had eye surgery. Yeah, yeah. She thinks everyone is cat calling her, praising Kramer as the Ass Man who pulled this. You know, pulled this ass. And the fact. The fact that some guy sees that license plate and instead of just saying like, hey, the ass man or what's up, ass man, he says, hey, the ass man's in town. <laughs> and Kramer goes, you got that right. <laughs> you got that right. There's some great moments with um, Frank Costanza. Kramer is driving Estelle around. He has to stop the car short and fling his arm over to the passenger as we used to do in the 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, and 90s to protect. Before we had airbags, you just use your arm. Yeah. I mean, the arm is really underrated as a safety feature mm -hmm. of the human body. I know whenever I'm in danger, like a car accident or someone's robbing a bank that I'm standing in, I'll just, I'll just throw out my arm out there. Uh -huh. Someone's robbing this bank. Don't worry, lady. That shooter won't get you. Here's my arm. <laughs> Works every time. 
Yeah. Anyway, you were saying about Kramer and Estelle? And he stopped short and made a grab, uh, which uh, Frank, <laughs> Frank, upset Frank, stopped short and make a grab. That's my move. <laughs> he goes, who? I stopped short. That's how he landed Estelle in the first place. Yeah. The little, the hip action, the hip movement he does mm-hmm. when he shows how he stopped short is, is nothing short of disgusting. Have you ever stopped short, Brandon, as a move? I don't, I'm not exactly sure what a stop short move <laughs> entails. It means that you do what happened in the car where uh, you use a hard brake as an excuse to reach over and grab the breast of your passenger and you could feign that you were just trying to protect them from hitting their head. No, I, I actually have not. <laughs> I have not used that. You have not done that? No. Have you? Of course. Your mom loves it. <sighs> Out of context, this is going to sound strange, but Frank Costanza falls on a small pasta statue of Jerry (laughs) (laughs) and in a million to one shot, it goes up his ass (laughs) and he must go to the proctologist where Kramer uh, discovers or the proctologist comes out and says something to the effect of this such as, you know, such a weird week. This happens uh, and I've also got my vanity license plates mixed up at the DMV and (laughs) Kramer goes, you're the ass man. The proctologist does one of those winks where the rest of the face doesn't move, but one eyelid slowly closes, (laughs) like my favorite wink. (laughs) You missed the best part of the episode. Uh, Before that, when Kramer is parking his huge ass car with the (laughs) license plate, he parks in his special parking lot and a security guard approaches him as he's getting out of the car and says, Hey, that spot is for doctors only. It's like at a hospital or something. Yeah. Kramer says, oh, no, it's okay. Proctol just and he points at his license plate. Does he point at it with his pipe? He might, yeah. I think he might point at it with the pipe. And the security guard immediately does like that Neil deGrasse Tyson <laughs> meme of, we got a badass over oh. here. Yeah, he brings <laughs> his hands up and says, oh, okay, we got no problem here. The license plate saying ass man was enough for that security guard to believe that Kramer was a <laughs> doctor. Well, he knew the ass man was in town. My favorite episode is The Nap from season eight. Narrowly missed my top five. A lot of mine involve George's schemes. Yes. George is my favorite character. I know he's yours as well. Uh, the Nap is about uh, when George works at the Yankees, he is tired and needs to take a nap while at work. He finds the perfect place under his desk. And so, eventually, Jerry's having a contractor work on his apartment. George runs into him, has him renovate the underside of his desk (laughs) to include a shelf and a drawer and George takes naps for hours at a time under his desk and one of these times, George Steinbrenner comes in, his boss looking for him, can't find him so he waits there in George's office for George to get back and George is under the desk and George realizes this and knows he can't get out so he tells Jerry to call in a bomb threat. George's Steinbrenner's grandkids are there and he tells them to all get under the desk and George is there. But also, when George, <laughs> when George is asleep, went under the desk waiting for Jerry or he's on the phone with Jerry to call in the bomb threat because uh, he also has a phone under his desk. One of the grandkids is on his hands and knees and crawls under there 
<laughs> sees George and says, Hi, my name is Brian. What's your name? <laughs> and George says, Beat it, Brian. Beat it. <laughs> His face gets all red. <laughs> I can't do it justice, but hopefully everyone out there is picturing that in their minds right now. I just looked up the script for that episode and uh, <laughs> when Steinbrenner has been sitting there in his office waiting for George, he says, uh, what is it with this guy? I've been waiting three and a half hours. Should I go? No way, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I love those little conversations with himself. What's your number two? My number two is The Slicer. Oh, yeah. From season nine, one of the very last episodes from season nine, episode seven. My favorite storyline from it is uh, George recognizes himself in a photo behind his boss Kruger's desk. Mm -hmm. The picture is of Kruger and his family at the beach. <laughs> and there's a picture of George behind him. And George is younger, so he has some hair, but George is giving them like an, a horrible, like evil look. Uh, George is worried he's going to, he'll get fired when Kruger recognizes him from the picture because he calls it the boombox incident. It was, he said, it's the summer of 89. George is at the beach. A family sat down next to him and George went swimming. And when he came back, he, all his stuff was gone. And he started screaming at the kids. <laughs> He got so angry, he threw their boombox into the ocean. And then a few minutes later, he found his things in the water and he realized that the tide, not the kids, had taken them out. The father, his Kruger, his future boss, demanded George paid for the boombox and George uh, gave him a fake address. <laughs> so, George steals the photo and takes it to the photo processing place to ask him them to airbrush out the picture of George, younger right. George. And when he comes back, Kruger got airbrushed out of the picture instead of George because Kruger is bald. The clerk mistook him for George. He says something like, you've lost a lot of hair. George goes, that's what they tell me. <laughs> yeah. The guy's like, He'll, I'll fix it. So, when he picks the photo back up, he's drawn Kruger in again, but he's a fucking cartoon. <laughs> And the guy said, I had to do that from memory. There's this whole thing about getting a photo of Kruger with his shirt off and faking a skin cancer screening. Yeah. It's got a little bit of everything, but it's got some good Kruger action anyway. So, Kruger isn't worried about the mole on his picture or there's a mole on his back, but he thinks there's a mole in the picture. So, the mole hasn't grown. And so, George feels compelled to tell him the truth. Kruger then reveals to George that that day, he and his kids took this pear-shaped loser's clothes <laughs> and threw it all in the ocean. <laughs> then George learns the truth and tells him that, that he is that pear-shaped loser. And then Kruger says, boy, you sure have lost a lot of hair. Pear-shaped loser. That guy's dead now too, I'm pretty sure. The guy who played Kruger is dead? Yeah. Daniel Von Bargain. Oh, shit, he shot himself. Oh, is that it? Yeah, that's it. That's right. On February 20th, 2012, Kruger, also known as Daniel Von Bargen, shot himself in the temple during an apparent suicide attempt. After placing a phone call to a 911 operator, emergency crews are dispatched to his Montgomery, Ohio apartment. 
He suffered from diabetes and at the time of his death had been living with one leg amputated. He was due to have a couple of toes amputated on his remaining foot and reportedly did not want to submit to another surgery. He died on March 1st, 2015 of undisclosed causes, having experienced complications for diabetes for years. He was 64 years old. Holy shit, that's fucking dark. Wait, so he was suffer- He was going through all this because of diabetes and he didn't want to suffer anymore so he killed himself? He tried to shoot himself. I guess he lived. Hmm. Lived for all, like another three years. God damn, that's sad. Well, okay, that brought things down quite a bit. Yeah, thank you. It wouldn't be an episode if we didn't somehow get to talk about death. My number two is The Serenity Now, season nine. I almost made mine too. It didn't even make your top five? Uh, it, it didn't. But uh, it's, wow. I mean, it was right up there. And uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, Serenity Now is one of my top five quotes. Serenity yep. Now is one I personally use in the manner it was meant to be used pretty often. You sit there and you tell yourself, Serenity Now, Serenity Now. No, I don't say it like that. I'll say it comedically fucking loud. It's usually when my kids are going bananas <laughs> and my house feels like a mental asylum uh, broke out. That one and uh, George is getting upset. Yeah. Which, didn't that start with the Jimmy episode? The guy that called himself Jimmy? Yeah, Jimmy talking to the third person. Turned yeah. into George likes his chicken spicy. Yeah, even a few seasons later, George is still calling himself. George is getting upset. <laughs> So, The Serenity Now is a very famous episode. It's where Frank Costanza wants his son and Lloyd Braun, George's lifelong arch rival, to sell computers in his garage. That's the one where Estelle yells, you're not giving away our ice pack. And uh, Frank, his doctor, instructs him to tell himself Serenity Now. He, get, he prescribed so, uh, some tapes. Yeah, that's right. Tapes and tell him to say- He's yelling, Serenity Now, Serenity Now. And George said, did the man say to yell? The man on the tape wasn't specific. <laughs> that was inspired by real, real life events in the life of writer Steve Corin. His parents, he was driving and his parents were arguing and his father kept shouting serenity now at the top of his lungs as part of a rage controlling exercise and he questioned whether or not the phrase was meant to be yelled. Can you imagine hearing that serenity now in the middle? Serenity now! But also in this episode... Elaine goes to a bar mitzvah of Mr. Littman, her old boss's son, Adam. Yeah. Who tries to kiss Elaine. The word gets around so Elaine gets uh, invited to a bunch of bar mitzvahs from Jewish boys who wants to kiss her. <laughs> because of her shik's appeal. That's right. And when she returns to the Littmans to talk to Adam out of his attraction for her, Mr. Littman himself tries to kiss her, <laughs> which leads to both of them <laughs> denouncing Judaism. <laughs> <laughs> And then Elaine goes to a rabbi for advice who then also hits on her. Got too much shik's appeal. So, that's the serenity now. I mean, there's the whole, the whole part with Lloyd Braun and selling computers, <laughs> the contest to sell computers, Lloyd Braun's phone wasn't plugged in the whole time. <laughs> and Frank switches up serenity now with Hoochie Mama. Oh, that's right. I for- yeah, that's a key part I forgot to mention. Hoochie Mama! I- <laughs> He's like grabbing with all his might onto something while he he turns his head like a dog and yells hoochie mama at the top of his lungs. 
like a feral beast. Was that your, and that was your number two, right? Yeah, so we need your three. And number three is the hot tub. Is that the... There's a lot going on in okay, this one. Tell me about it. A lot of mine are ones with just a lot, lot going on. Season nine, right? No, season seven, episode five. This is the one where Elaine has the Trinidadian and Toboggan runner Jean, Jean Paul as her guest. Yes. And Jean Paul previously overslept and missed his race in the Olympics. So, it's a big deal for him to get up on time for the marathon. He's staying with Elaine and Jerry's word because Elaine keeps screwing stuff up like she's burning muffins and missing dates and stuff and Jerry's concerned about that. But on George's part, another great George scheme is that he always looks annoyed. He looks annoyed at work so people think he's busy. Yes. And his boss, Wilhelm, sends him out drinking to entertain these guys from the Houston Astros front office. You tell that son of a bitch. <laughs> Yeah, these guys say bastard and son of a bitch all the time and get George doing it. And so, at the same time, God, it's it's so hard to explain a Seinfeld episode. So, at the same time, Kramer has a hot tub in his apartment. The power goes out and his core temperature drops and he's been cold. He's constantly cold. So, like everyone at this point in the episode meets back up at the diner and Jean-Paul is there too. George is swearing wears off on Jean-Paul. When he touches Kramer, whose core has been chilled now, he says, that son of a bitch is ice cold. <laughs> but he also calls a baby a little bastard in front of them. <laughs> Look at the little bastard. Anyway, Jean-Paul, uh, Kramer gets a new hot tub, the heater shorts out, the building, Jean-Paul had stayed with Jerry, but he ends up oversleeping for the marathon because of the power going out. At the race, he grabs Kramer's hot tea thinking it's water and burns himself. There's a lot going on in that episode. But I like how everything always ties together in the end mm -hmm. with all the characters. Well, also, Kramer, first of all, has a hot tub in his New York City apartment. He fills it up using a bucket. From Jerry's apartment. <laughs> right. No, they said something about he doesn't have... Running water? And then Jerry's like, I don't ask these questions. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but I love how Kramer just, yeah, Jerry's apartment is Kramer's apartment. And Kramer, or, uh, Jerry's a huge germaphobe and like personal space kind of guy. But he's just like, given up on trying to do anything about it with Kramer. So, he lets Kramer come and go as he pleases. <laughs> Up until he gets three pints of Kramer in him. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. <laughs> My third favorite is The Rye from season seven. It is a very good one. There's a lot of good <laughs> Costanza moments in this one too. That's where the chicken and the rooster and the hen come from. The episode is named because George's parents are meeting with George's fiance Susan and her parents for the first time at Susan's parents' house. And Susan's parents are very well-to-do while George's parents are crazy. And George's father, Frank, makes a point to pick up a rye bread from Schnitzer's out of their way on the way to dinner. But the Rosses don't put out the rye and so Frank steals it back to take it home with them. And there's a scene when Frank, Estelle and George who's sitting in the back like a little kid are riding home from dinner. Estelle is saying something like, who doesn't have cake after a meal? We're sitting there like idiots with no cake after a meal. 
And then Frank says, I'll tell you what it is. It's stupid. Not a polite. It's stupid. That's what it is. You got to be stupid to do something like that. And then uh, that's when Frank reveals that he stole the bread back. Anyway, George schemes to sneak the bread back into the Ross's home before they notice that it's gone so that they don't know his parents took it. And so, Jerry steals the rye bread from an old lady who took the last one at the store um, and he says, give it here, you old hag. And then he runs <laughs> off with it like a, like a running back with a football <laughs> down the street. There's a, he has a great look, kind of panicked look on his face as he runs to- But also exhilarated. Some of the, the parts of Seinfeld that stick with me after all these years are some of the parts where you can tell that they know it's funny. It's a visual gag and you can tell that they know what they're doing is funny. And I think that shot of Jerry running away is, is one of them. Well, Jerry was always not great at keeping a straight face. And it's funny because Michael Richards, who plays Kramer, obviously seems like a great, easygoing, fun guy. But he was actually super serious behind the scenes with his acting. <laughs> As we all found out eventually, he's pretty, pretty tightly wound. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> But there is actually a Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with Michael Richards and Jerry where he actually talks about that yeah. in length, uh, which is very interesting. I recommend it, which is on Netflix, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. But Kramer or the actor that plays Kramer, Michael Richards, would get very frustrated with his co-stars when they would laugh and crack up at scenes because even when Kramer's doing something ridiculous, Michael Kramer is dead serious in delivering it. And uh, it's, it's interesting to see some of those bloopers behind the scenes when everyone else is laughing at something Kramer does, but Michael Richards is not laughing. He's just sitting there like waiting for everyone to stop so they can get back to filming. It's uh, different than you'd expect. I'd rather be silly. If you're silly, you're very silly. <laughs> because you're silly. And he, and he makes George out of ravioli. <laughs> <laughs> Well, also in this Rye episode, I'm going to read this line from Wikipedia. This is a quote. Elaine dates a jazz saxophonist named John Germain. Tells Jerry that John doesn't give her oral sex. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> End quote. Because that's definitely not how the conversation went with Jerry. He doesn't give me oral sex. He doesn't do everything. Oh, is that all she says? Is that what she says? Yeah, and Jerry goes, oh. Someone just hit your head over it with the, in the wiki article. I love Wikipedia because everything's so scientific. I forgot that's the same episode where Kramer feeds that horse Beefarino. Beef feeds that horse Rusty Beefarino and it's just farting wild, disgusting everyone, disgusting Susan's parents. It's like you when you eat ravioli. Or hot dogs. Or f f do you eat ravioli over airport trash, airport trash cans as well? I, do you have an airport trash can in place of your kitchen table in your kitchen? When they asked me if I wanted it Chicago style, I said Chef Boyardee style. <laughs> Instead of shopping for dining room tables when you move, you shopped for really fancy trash cans. I want that hot dog covered in ravioli with a fucking glass of lemonade, baby. Do you see that he's not denying it, by the way, everyone? Hashtag hot dog Brandon because when he's going and not thinking about it, he'll just talk freely and openly about his disgusting act of shoveling a hot dog into his mouth in a crowd of people over an airport trash can. That's the Atlanta airport circa 2015. Anyway. 
That is your version of OJ's book, If I Did It. Remember uh, how that book is, I did it in huge letters and then if is like. <laughs> if, if <laughs> I did it. <laughs> it should, that should be the title and you open it on the first page is him just smiling and shrugging like, hey, <laughs> what am I going to do? Well, speaking of what are you going to do, what you, the listener, should do is if you're dumb enough to listen to our asses for this long, hopefully you're also dumb enough to take some time to leave us a five-star written review on iTunes. Would you say the odds are good of that, Brandon? What? That the listener's dumb enough to do that for us. Probably pretty good, yeah. If you write a review for us on iTunes, also known as Apple Podcasts, we're going to read it on the show. Here's one from Always Amanda. Uh, I don't want to read this one. It's going to inflate your ego more than your inflatable family's inflated. Let me hear it. She says, quote, why is this so good? Question mark. My favorite thing is when Brandon says, whoa, every episode. I'm walking around cracking up. Oh, look out. People are looking at me funny and I don't care. End quote. Oh, the more time I spend in your ears, the more people will look at you weird. The more time Brandon spends in your ears. What about the more time you spend in... Your rears? <laughs> this one comes from Benruji. You got that? Is that all one word? Benru is one word. B-E-N-R-U space G. Okay. He says, quote, great show and good content. I loved it. Good flow and content. LOL. <laughs> like after he gave us that compliment, he was like, ha, fucking ha. I don't know if he's laughing at us because we're so funny or he's laughing at us for thinking this is a sincere review. Maybe he meant lots of love. Lots of love. Lots of love to you, Ben Ruji, and to everyone who writes and reviews us. Thank you very much. Now, let's get back to our list. What's your fourth favorite Seinfeld episode? The fourth favorite is from season nine. It is The Voice. Season nine, episode two. That's my number four as well. Yeah, the belly button voice. Hello. Hello. I read earlier today, I did not know this before, that, that originally came about a writer came up with a voice for his girlfriend's butt while she was asleep. <laughs> And that they... Why didn't they go with butt? They said they changed it from butt so that it would be less crude humor. But Jerry has said in years since that he wished they would have left it as the butt. I have a lot of respect for anybody who can say, yeah, that that decision I made at one time, I, I no longer agree with. I changed my mind. But I love even more when someone changes their mind and says like, yeah, it should have been a butt. <laughs> Was Wait, was this your son Charlie or was this Jerry? <laughs> they both, if, if Charlie would have been in charge, we all would have been doing the, the butt voice. <laughs> I think I've mentioned those new Mickey Mouse cartoons before. There's a new one just came out where they travel through time. And in the time of dinosaurs and cavemen, they're all, they all vaguely look like Goofy. One of the dinosaurs roars and scares Mickey and Donald and Donald gets so scared that his ass falls off. And we had to rewind it a few times because ever, we were all just uh, rolling in the floor. This Donald Duck's ass fell off and he had to pick it up and put it back on. Well, how different would the world be if everyone's ass was detachable, like it was an accessory? A detachable butt? Yeah. I mean, you could just go to the butt store, swap out your butt for a better butt. I'd get one with more padding. You don't have enough padding on your butt? That I don't believe. I don't. What, uh, what, how does how do you suffer from this? 
Well, I have get ass pain from where the bone, it's a butt cheek. Mm, a butt cheek pain. From sitting on your... Is this different from the butt cheek pain you experience from spanking yourself when you get, ex- <laughs> when you get excited? Just standing up in public and <laughs> flogging myself. You know how some of those religious nuts will like whip themselves like Jesus? Yeah. You do that. Yeah, flagellating. Spanking your... <laughs> Uh, it's just like me. Why am I doing that again? <laughs> I don't know, but when I knew we were doing the Seinfeld episode today, I started spanking myself too, so it's okay. So, back to the voice. <laughs> so, uh, another one of George's... Schemes? Yeah, it's like my brain just fucking stopped working. Uh, it doesn't work after 10.35. Yeah, we're we're recording late, later than usual today and Brandon's... Fatigued beyond. Uh, <laughs> fatigued. One of George's best schemes, it's when he goes to work for Play Now. Yeah, it's he's working at Play Now, but they have discovered that he is not actually handicapped. <laughs> and they are trying to kick him out and he has a contract with them and he's trying to serve out his contract so they have to pay him anyway. So, he's tr- they're trying to lock him out of his office. He's trying to, he goes through, uh, he crawls through an air duct to get into his office. Uh, Kramer gets uh, an assistant. An intern. An, an intern to, to help him with Kramerica Industries. It ends up leading to the giant ball of oil. And one of the best, one of my favorite quotes by Kramer. When he looks at his, they're holding a ball of oil in the window of George's office at Play Now. And he said, you know, Darren, if you had told me 25 years ago that someday I'd be standing here about to solve the world's energy problems, I would have said you're crazy. And let's push this giant ball of oil out the window. <laughs> uh, the ball is a bladder to go inside of oil tankers so they won't spill and leak oil. And it doesn't work because it breaks over the head of the girl with the stomach who talks. Hello. Which, by the way, according here's the quote from Wikipedia on that. Jerry and George imagine a scenario in which the stomach of Claire, <laughs> Jerry's girlfriend, make, could have been her butt, make sounds during the night, chiefly by saying, <laughs> "Quote hello, la la la," in a loud, <laughs> booming voice. <laughs> okay, so my number five is the Frogger. <laughs> Another one from season nine. nine. Yes, sir. The Frogger is when Jerry and George go to their old pizza joint from high school and the Frogger machine where George's high score is remains the number one. And of course, George has very little in life to cling to. So, he wants to buy that Frogger machine because the pizza place is going to go out of business. So, he enlists the help of Kramer's random friend, Slippery Pete. Slippery Pete. You can trust Slippery Pete. Um, and they try to sneak the Frogger machine across the street. Doesn't work out. That's also where Elaine eats the $29,000 ancient cake from King Edward VIII's wedding. So, yeah, that's the Frogger. But I just love that scene of George trying to cross the street like Frogger. I forgot the Slippery Pete didn't know what the electrical outlet was. He called it the holes. <laughs> oh, you mean the holes. <laughs> uh, well, my... Uh, number five on my episodes list is The Butter Shave. Mm. It's the first episode of season nine. 
there's some good storylines in it. It's um, Elaine and Putty breaking up and making up on the airplane uh, with that guy, vegetable lasagna. Kramer is using butter to shave with, hence the... So, it's so smooth. Then he goes tanning or he gets some sun and um, Newman tries to eat him. <laughs> the main part of it I like is George getting hired at the company play now and George is still using a cane. At the end of season eight... Oh, the summer of George, right? Some time off work and some money in the bank. He's going to seize the moment and <laughs> I declare this the summer of George. And it ends up be like that episode he <laughs> nearly dies from being so lazy. <laughs> so, he's still using a cane when he goes to apply at play now. They think he's handicapped and uh, that's part of the reason why they hire him. So, then he has to fake it and the montage of him pretending to be handicapped My at work. My baby takes the morning train. Pretending to have a disability and just yucking it up with the other people in the office. He even uses his cane to trip a guy and they all have a good laugh at the guy who tripped and the guy who tripped looks up and just laughs like, oh, you rascal. What's better, that montage or the montage of Kramer working that office? Same song. Well, the Kramer one came first, but I think this, the George one is better because there's more gleefully malicious uh, intent <laughs> with George. But I like the Kramer one better because of the last line that launches the montage, which is Kramer's in Jerry's apartment <laughs> getting ready for work in the morning and he looks at the time and says, I got to run and he's got a mouthful of some food and Jerry says, what's in the briefcase? And Kramer goes, crackers. After they had a very serious discussion about how important it is that, that Kramer go to work and be able to do his job and how important it was. You, you got through your five. I have some honorable mentions, which I'll just go over briefly. Uh, the Comeback, which is the Jerk Store episode. Right. The Bizarro Jerry, which is the one where Kramer gets a job, but also where Elaine dates the Bizarro Jerry. And there's a, they have a group of friends and there's Feldman. Uh, Feldman, Gene is the George. <laughs> and they're all nice and they're not mean to each other. They like hug each other and take care of each other. And do you remember when, it's not this episode, but it's a different one where George has to eat at Reggie's. Because he doesn't want to eat at Monk's, the normal restaurant, because someone's there and George thinks they're all laughing at him. <laughs> <laughs> so, he goes and eats by himself at Reggie's and later he's ranting and he goes, I had to eat at Reggie's, Jerry. Reggie's. Oh, it's the Independent George episode. <laughs> he thinks You're Susan- killing Independent George. Yeah. Uh, okay, the big salad. And I love that episode because it's quintessential George. If I had to show anyone what is like the perfect snapshot of who George is as a character, it's the big salad. Because the whole episode is about how George felt he didn't get the credit Petty. for the salad that he paid for, which was probably like 7 or $8, because his girlfriend handed the salad to Elaine and Elaine told her thank you and not George. <laughs> but I got to say, she did take credit for the salad. The girlfriend, she said, you're welcome. Yeah. And George said, you had to have the big salad. And he's what I would hips. like to know is how does a person who has nothing to do with the big salad claim responsibility for that salad and accept the thank you under false pretenses? Uh, also, the seven where George wants to name his kid seven and he wants to stop oh. some other people from taking that name. And the maid, which is the T-bone episode. T-bone. George is eating a T-bone steak in a work meeting, specifically to be noticed that he's eating a T-bone steak so that he can have the nickname T-bone because he thinks it sounds cool. 
No one says a word. And then three people later in the meeting, because they're like going around a circle introducing themselves, three people later, someone else is eating a T-bone. The second person with the T-bone and they, they say that person <laughs> should be called T-bone. <laughs> I love later in the episode when uh, I can't remember what George is upset about, but he's ranting and raving and <laughs> they're looking at him from behind like a window. So, you can't hear him, but you can see his arms flailing above his head. Yeah. And he does look just like an angry gorilla. <laughs> and that's where they decide to instead nickname him Coco the monkey. And he has a jersey made. It says ooh. <laughs> As in ooh. <laughs> Okay. Are you ready to move on from episodes? Yes. Quotes and references. I have an honorable mention right off the bat that I had forgotten about until I read it this morning. Okay. I think it's when they go to the Hamptons. George explains to Jerry that he dresses by mood. (laughs) Yeah. And Jerry says, and what mood is this? And George says, this is morning mist. Uh, that's good. So, I actually have uh, nine on here, but we've actually... Just go through them. So, let's start with number nine. Kramer is talking about some <laughs> someone going on vacation with Elaine. He says, a month in Europe with Elaine? That guy's coming home in a body bag. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so un-Kramer because Kramer's like the ultimate loyal friend. I mean, he'll, he'll betray you too, <laughs> but... Because there's there's a million scenes like this where Kramer's like standing there and Jerry's, or Kramer just walks in, you know, with his famous barge in and Jerry just says, hey, I'm about to go up to Yankee Stadium and- He's uh, like, oh, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Kramer's in. But then on the other hand, Kramer will shit on you behind your back to his <laughs> other friends. You know how Jerry is. He's very- A fancy boy. <laughs> yeah. If Vane, you know he's a Holly, Hollywood type, so Vane, look at me, look at me. Uh, number eight. Is George's answering machine. Uh, Oh, yeah, of course. How did I forget that? Believe it or not, George isn't at home. That was my answering machine for a long time. Uh, Number seven uh, is uh, the message that Frank Costanza leaves on Jerry's answering machine. Jerry hits the button and it says, Jerry, it's Frank Costanza. Steinbrenner's here. George is dead. Call me back. (laughs) Oh, it's when they think George is dead because because of of his car car being left. Yeah, George is dead. Call me back. That same episode where George Steinbrenner visits the Costanzas to let them know the news that George is dead. He had just told them and Estelle is crying. Frank is looking very emotional and you think it's because, you think it's because of George dying but he just says, how could you trade so-and-so for so-and-so? You don't know what the hell you're doing. (laughs) What else you got? Let's see. Number five was, I hereby declare this, the summer of George. Uh, see, we covered the rest of these, I think. Four, it's a hey, the ass man's in town. Number three, sweet fancy Moses. It's one I usually say under my breath if I see something really fucked up. Who said that first? Jerry? Jerry. That's what he says when he sees uh, Elaine dancing. Sweet fancy Moses. Uh, two is serenity now. I do say that one. I don't, uh, I don't scream it and I don't say it in a soothing voice. It's usually something like, a stress-filled expletive. Uh, and then number one, I do use this under my breath a lot. George is getting upset. <laughs> I've heard you do that. 
George is getting upset and serenity now are different versions of the same feeling. Wouldn't it be more apt for you if you said, Brandon's getting sweaty? <laughs> yeah, that's, it is what I do is I get, uh, I get all sweaty. No, I, I'm going to stick with George though. Was that what, that's your number one? Yeah. So, here's mine in reverse order. Number eight is when Jerry's dating the girl that's in Sex in the City later, the actress. Kristen something. Yeah. That's the episode where the, to- the toothbrush goes in the toilet. Mm-hmm. She uses the toothbrush and he can't tell her. Uh, but he's also afraid to kiss her from, <laughs> from then on. Uh, but the toilet explodes and she's covered in sewage and Jerry walks in, sees her like that and they had just made up and he goes, have a nice life <laughs> and he leaves. Kristen Davis, that's her name. Yeah. Yeah, her name was Jenna and then she later dates Kenny Banya. That's right. My next one is Soup's Not a Meal with Banya. This, this next one we haven't covered yet. It's Jerry talking to George. So, you said to yourself, what the hell, I'll eat some trash. <laughs> That's when George eats the half-eaten, uh, what is it, like a ring ding or a... And that line is definitely a Jerry Seinfeld written line. Now that I've seen more comedians in cars and I have a little bit better understanding of who Jerry is, my assumption is that is a line that Jerry wrote. But I love how that scene of George taking a bite out of that with his back turned to the kitchen doorway and the mother comes in and sees him and George turns around just in time to see her and he puts the thing down and he and frantically runs after her to tell her. Nobody does frantic quite like George Costanza. Yeah. So, I imagine, I mean, everybody, if you want to know what Brandon looked like in that airport, just watch that scene. Okay, so my next one is, well, we already said it. It's the chicken, the hen, and the rooster. Uh, number four is, she had man hands from Jerry. Mm-hmm. Number three is, you're killing independent George. Number two is, hoochie mama. And number one is, serenity now. Malva? I probably should have had Festivus for the rest of us on there too. Okay, and our last section here is our top five life lessons that Seinfeld taught us. And, you know, I watched Seinfeld starting at age nine. So, I learned a lot from Seinfeld. You did. You were uh, raised by it rather than your parents. Thank God. Uh, I'm going to disappoint you here because I thought very, very hard about this and I could only think of one life lesson I truly took from Seinfeld. Wow. I have seven. Uh, Well, I apologize. Hang on. Everyone, take a drink if you're surprised that Brandon let us all down again. It is, it's not a lie if you believe it. Yeah, that's on mine. So, that's the key to telling a good lie is just believe that shit. But it's also true. Yeah, you make it reality. Well, I mean, even if you don't think you're lying, even if you truly believe something and you say something that's incorrect, it's not a lie. It's not a lie if you believe it. Yeah. Fucking genius. You said this earlier, I can't believe it's not on your list. When you look annoyed all the time, people think you're busy. (laughs) That's right. That is a life lesson from George. I love the little example he gives of what it means to look annoyed and busy in that episode. It's like three seconds of him just kind of going like, Yeah. And by the way, we never mentioned Peterman. I'm sure some people are yelling at us that Peterman has not had to mention this whole episode. He's funny, but he doesn't, um, he just can't carry a belly laugh like Frank Costanza. (laughs) Belly laugh. 
Okay. Well, I can tell that you are running on fumes here. So, I'm going to get through my life lessons. I have, it's not a lie if you believe it with George. When you look annoyed all the time, people think you're busy. Here's one. Not that there's anything wrong with that. (laughs) That is the line from the episode uh, about people thinking Jerry and George are a gay couple. And Jerry and George constantly remind themselves that there's not anything wrong with that. And that's a life lesson that I took to heart. I think there's probably a lot of people, like I mentioned earlier, who don't realize that that exact phrase was popularized. That's where it came from. Yeah. Just remember when you control the mail, you control information from Newman. Information. When Elaine has Newman take care of the barking dog, that's Mm -hmm. by her apartment, and the police (laughs) show up at Newman's door and Newman answers and says, what took you so long? (laughs) Just like... uh, Like a serial killer. It's son of Sam, a postal worker. People, they're the worst from Jerry. That has been a very true thing in my life. If you need proof of that, just listen to my fucking sidekick host try to get through any one of these episodes. He's the worst. Huh? Looking at cleavage is like looking at the sun. You don't stare at it. It's too risky. You get a sense of it and then you look away. That's a solid tip. Keep you out of a lot of trouble. My last one here is manure. Remember George is like his first pickup line is... It's not so bad. Think about it. ma nua. You got ma and nua. And he uses that line on Melissa Tomei who thinks it's hilarious. <laughs> Where Jerry's like, so you went, you went with the manure. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah. Okay, we did it. We got through this thing. Shrinkage. Double dipping. Double dipping. That's a huge one we missed. Giddy up. Yeah. Yeah, we did it. Brandon's like on the verge of death over there because Brandon does not stay up. He's like Jerry's parents. He has dinner at 3 o'clock and he's in bed by 6 and he watches Fox News right before. Breakfast the night before. Breakfast at Tiffany's. I just looked over my shoulder and the Grim Reaper is standing behind me. Okay, so we're going to go so Brandon has enough energy to do another episode a week from now. If you enjoyed this very Seinfeld episode and you'd like us to do a deep dive on another singular topic like this, just let us know. You can write that in a review. You can tweet us or whatever on social media. You can follow us at Pod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We'll be back next week with our traditional top 10-ish list. <laughs> traditional. Nothing traditional about us boys. Brandon, do you have anything else you want to say to our loyal listeners? The ass man's in town. All right. Thank you, Brandon. I will let you go to sleep. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.